Well, if you, if you have your uh, Bibles open, or if you have them with you, Revelation chapter 8, please, and we'll actually go from verse 1. Revelations 8 and verse 1. I want to speak tonight on uh, a title that really came to me, I believe, by Revelation, about how God wants to continue to encourage and to take us to new levels of prayer. And uh, the phrase that came to me was a heavenly prayer barrage. A heavenly prayer barrage. I'll be explaining what that is in a few minutes. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, this angel, there was silence in heaven for about... Sorry, when Jesus opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Imagine the weight of glory. This is heaven. And there was the, the, the only reaction could be silence. Half an hour. Such a heavy weight of glory and anointing. that Nobody felt right to speak for one half hour. Can you imagine that ever happening in a Pentecostal church? I think maybe when Jesus comes. But then we'll be raptured, won't we? Anyway... And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it onto the earth, and there were noises, thundering, lightning, and an earthquake. This is a very, very powerful picture of heaven. This isn't symbolic. This is a picture of what happens in heaven heaven. And in this we see a very powerful truth, which is not just about the moment that, that this takes place, but it's an insight to how our prayers ascend to heaven and cause there to be a release of God's heavenly kingdom back on earth. We can see here that the angel was given incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which is before the throne and the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of the saints ascends before God. This is a picture of our prayers. Do you know that, that according to this picture our prayers are so powerful that, well we're speaking in spiritual terms in heaven, but it's like they have concrete substance before God. I mean, it was mixed with the incense. Many people say this is a picture of the worship of the saints, the worship and the prayer. But the important thing is, your prayer is being mixed by an angel before the golden altar of God Almighty, and your prayer is going before the Lord. Sometimes, and imagine when the saints get really praying. I mean really praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't just mean in tongues. When we talk about praying in the Holy Spirit, we mean that the Holy Spirit is causing us to pray. Do you know, true prayer is the Holy Spirit praying through us. Do you know that? When the Holy Spirit, he prays through us. It's almost like one, one old saint said this, that true prayer is like God wrestling with God. 
And what he meant by that is that the God, the Holy Spirit, is in us, interceding in us and through us to God the Father. And we are the channel, God wrestling with God. I thought that's a very powerful thing when true prayer is taking place. And that when we really begin to pray as a church, I like to think of the idea that it gets very, very smoky in heaven. Any ex-Catholics here tonight, all Catholics here tonight, you ever been in the old-fashioned services where they use the incense? I used to go, uh, in my university days, I used to go sometimes to a uh, Church of England, High Church, Church of England chapel in St. Chad's College every so often, and they'd get the old incense out, and they'd be swinging it around, and that place would get very, very smoky. I like the idea that before the throne of God, when the saints get praying, there's a lot of smoke. But that, that, that is not just smoke without fire, as we'll see. But it's smoke that's going to send some fire. It's words. It's intercessions. It's pleas. It's concrete prayers that bef- go before the throne. And then we see what, does, what happens with that. As it ascends to God, there's a reaction. The angel is told to take this censer, this great bowl, and he fills it with fire from the altar, and then he throws it down to earth. There is a heavenly barrage of God's kingdom explosive power that comes down in return. We send up the Holy Spirit prayers, the word of God ignited in our lips. We send it up. And then God hears, sees, and then the angels or God himself releases prayer power and explosions of God's kingdom will begin to take place in our lives and circumstances. Heaven begins to invade earth, begins to drop Holy Ghost missiles and warheads into our circumstances, demolishing strongholds and releasing kingdom power, kingdom healing, kingdom will and kingdom breakthrough. Explosions. This is a great picture and encouragement for us. And um, when I was thinking about this heavenly prayer barrage, you know, in military terminology, an artillery barrage fires heavy carpets of shells to clear the way of both enemies and obstacles blocking the advance of an army. Following that barrage that goes before the army, the army should then be able to march forward to advance into new territory with only light resistance. Why? Because those barrage, those cannons, those artilleries have been firing into the enemy's strongholds and positions, into their barbed wire, into their obstacles, into their strongholds, and has been demolishing and breaking them down so that when the army advances, there's light resistance. Likewise, an effective prayer barrage. As we begin to pray into the vision of 2020, as we begin to pray into the future, if we begin to pray into the day, into the week, into certain places where they know that there's strongholds of the enemy, and begin to release a barrage of prayers, then what will happen is the barrage of prayer, the intensity of our prayers will begin to demolish and break down barricades, strongholds, 
and oppositions so that when we advance to do the will of God, we will find light resistance and we will take ground after ground. Many of our struggles as individuals and many of our struggles as as churches in different nations and different cities is that we as Christians are trying to advance without prayer advance cover. We're walking into the strongholds and wondering why we can't get through them. We're walking into opposition. We're walking into obstacles. We're walking and the enemy has been left just to wait for us. No one has disturbed them. Their ambushes are set. Their strongholds and trenches are dug. No one has has broken them up. And then when we go in, there's no cover at all. This is one of the things that the Holy Spirit was showing, I believe. And remember, in the words of Maurice Sorello, and he's right, all truth is parallel. So let's go with this prophetic prophetic thought about prayer barrages releasing into the path of a vision, into the path of our lives, demolishing power to clear the way for our advancement, actual advancement in life and ministry. I'm going to ask Chris Shimon minister here at Kensington Temple, to come and to share a a little while because for quite a number of years he was at the forefront of the military in Great Britain and he's been in battle and he understands the importance of such things as laying out barrages before us. He's going to talk a little bit about it. Remember, as he talks, all truth is parallel, thank you, all truth is parallel and God is wanting to teach us something about our prayer life tonight. Let's welcome Chris back. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, as Bruce was sharing, sharing from a from a natural perspective, I've been on the side of uh, both aspects, so to speak, of uh, taking enemy positions that have not been heavily neutralized or bombarded, as uh, Bruce w- was saying, and I've also been on the other side of taking enemy positions that have been very, very heavily bombarded. Let me tell you, the contrast is huge for many, many reasons, and I'll uh, go into that shortly a little bit more in more detail. But from a military perspective, from a military mindset, when we're planning any major offensive on a heavily defended position, and may I just add why in the first instance it is a very heavily defended position, because it is of extreme importance for the outcome of any battle or any war. In the first instance, why it's so heavily um, um, fortified is because it is key. It's vital ground, it's key terrain that we must, must take and must, must hold because of the further outcome of the war. So that in itself tells us of why it is so important that we must, must take that ground. Now, the, um, the gold standard before any military offensive is, uh, and before we send in the ground troops, is to make sure that this ground is heavily bombarded. It's neutralized via mortars, um, artillery fire, naval gunfire, fast air support, or whatever it may be, one of those, or ideally all of those, to really have the effect that we're desiring to have. What are the fruits of this great bombardment on the ground? 
Well, number one, it fixes the enemy. We call it fixing. We fix the enemy. We fix them in place. And in so doing, we give them minimal freedom of movement. They're fixed in place. They don't want to step out of their strongholds. They don't want to step out of their trenches. They don't want to step out of their well-dug positions because they will be neutralized. They stay fixed. And therefore, we prevent their freedom of movement. We have the upper hand and control. Secondly, it shocks and it destabilizes. To be on the receiving end of any artillery fire, naval gunfire, or whatever it may be, is not a nice place to be, believe you me. It shocks you and it holds you and it destabilizes you. It hits their morale. It makes them weary. It makes them tired. It confuses them. It disorientates them. You're pinning the enemy down and you're pegging them back, which in turn allows yourself freedom of movement to monopolize that situation and to plan your assault. What does this provide then for the ground forces who are ultimately going to have to go on the ground to clear those positions? Well, first of all, it gives tremendous confidence. Tremendous confidence. Before, when we have to assault heavily fortified positions, you are very weary because they have the upper hand, they have got freedom of movement, they have control of the ground, and you're going on their ground of their choosing, trying to oust them out of those positions. It's hard work and very, very dangerous. You will take the most casualties this way. But when it has been neutralized, when it has been heavily bombarded, it gives tremendous courage. And you feel as if you ha are on the front foot. It gives you great confidence because the ground has been softened. You have softened their resolve. You have fragmented the enemy troops and enemy positions. Their plans and freedom of movement are brought into complete confusion. And we can clear the objective with greater ease. We're on the front foot. We're on the ascendancy and not on the withdrawal. And we're able then to push back the enemy. We're able to push back and ultimately take the ground we need to further our positions. Just earlier in the intercessory prayer meeting, uh, I was reminded of the word paga, which in the original Hebrew is the word they use for prayer. It has three derivatives, violence, begging or pleading, and boundary. And through our prayer, what we're doing is we're praying with violence, yes, spiritual violence, spiritual fervor, spiritual zeal, because we're pushing back the boundaries. We're pushing back the territory. The boundaries that the enemy are trying to dictate to stop us from taking that ground, we are pushing back with the light of truth. Also, the boundaries that we establish in our own minds and in our own lives that aren't what God has established for our lives, we also push back. Because our boundaries are not dictated by the devil. Our boundaries are not dictated by ourselves. 
God dictates our boundaries. And we, no more do we see this in Abraham when he's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah and for Lot. Lord, if there's 50 righteous in the land pushing back the boundaries, will you, um, will you um, not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, what about 40 pushing back the boundaries again? What about 30? What about so on and so forth until he finally hit God's pagger? He hit his boundary, and then God turned on his way, and he achieved his aim. So what we're doing is we're bombarding the enemy territory. We're softening it. We're neutralizing it. We're in the ascendancy, and therefore we can send through the ground troops, take that ground so we hold the stronghold, and we can assault and advance to ultimately win the war from there. That's it. Bruce. Just one thing, because... You've given us a good feel of, of the benefits of a bombardment, but you've said that you've been in places where you haven't had the, the benefits of a bombing or a bombardment. There's been no artillery. Uh, what's that like? Yeah, it would be uh, hard to describe in words, um, but it freezes you. Um, when I've been told to assault any positions that, I've, uh, that have not been neutralised, um, you have a lump in your throat. Your, your heart sinks in knowing you've got to press forward and into the head-on, into the enemy fire. It, in part, tries to freeze you. You feel like you're on the back foot and not on the front foot. You lose the confidence. And, yeah, just an altogether not nice place to be. Sounds like a lot of British Christians, European Christians today, doesn't it? Thanks. Just thank you. I mean, it really is. Thank you, Chris. Now, I know, you, I know you guys to know that you are already making the connections. And Chris made some connections. You, you are making connections. Truth is parallel. You are thinking about, about the natural uh, use of bombardments on t artillery to clear the way for advancement. And you are joining the dots. And you are thinking about yourself. What about you? Are you frozen, fearful, stuck in a position You've got dreams of advancing. You've got hopes and desires. And yet there's been no prayer, heavenly prayer, bombardment going ahead to clear the way, to bring you courage, to pin down the enemy, to stop him advancing in, in your life, to stop him advancing in Great Britain and Europe, to stop him advancing in the church. We're going to pin him down. We're going to knock him out. We're going to pave the way. And we're going to have courage that when we go forward, we know that the heavenly prayer barrage has already gone forward. So you can see with this that, that this isn't just something that's made up. We saw the image in Revelation of these fire, the fire being brought down and the Bible's words of thunder and lightning, explosive power. I'd like to turn you to Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. And here we go. For our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, 
and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're in a battle, friends. And the battle is not with flesh and blood human beings, but the battle is with demonic authorities, powers, uh, hierarchies, spiritual forces of darkness and evil in heavenly places. In other words, in the spiritual realm, these are the things that we are battling against. They are real. They, they, are, they are, if I can put it this way, they are more real in this world than the people that are in this world because the people in this world will one day die and pass to another world, but these heavenly powers remain until Christ returns. And they seek to defeat us, to oppress us, but we are called to deal with them. So when we speak about a vision of fruitfulness for the year 2020, you can bet these powers are going to resist it. They're going to resist the territory. These powers have been taking territory in Europe for so long. Taking territory in politics. Taking territory in business. Taking territory in thought. Taking territory in education. Taking territory in the religious sphere. Taking territory. It's not human beings. It's the power behind these human beings. These human beings, those that are not saved, are simply pawns in the hands of higher demonic supernatural powers. They are uh, ruled by the God of this age, Ephesians earlier on tells us. Uh, they are ruled by the prince of the power of this, uh, of this air that works in and through them. They are pawns of a tyrannical, spiritual, dark kingdom of demonic powers. But we have power to deal with them. And I won't go into the whole armor of God because we're not going on the defense today. We're going back on the offense. And so I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. We have the armor. We could go through the armor. We're not doing that tonight. We're looking at our offensive weapons. We're looking at our artillery. We're looking at how we are going to go and blast away in the future so that we can advance and begin to take territory back, like Chris said, to take territory back for the kingdom of heaven in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our church, and in the lives of our city, our nation, and the continent of Europe and the world. We're going to do it. We're going to advance. And so here we have it. Take, uh, sorry, um, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But it doesn't end there. Pray in the Spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication. This verse is talking about a heavenly prayer artillery bombardment. That's what it's talking about. The Word of God is the sword, but not just the Scriptures. It's the Word of God with the Holy Spirit empowering it. It's rhema words. It's words for a season. It's God's direction from the Scriptures that we take and use as the weapons of our warfare. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal, but are powerful in God for the tearing down of powers, principalities, and strongholds, these very things, tearing them down, blasting them out of the way. 
And so this prayer, look at this type of prayer. It's pray in the Spirit. Remember what I said earlier? Praying in the Spirit. It's not just speaking in tongues. Praise the Lord for that. That, that, that Speaking in tongues, that loads the artillery. But praying in the Spirit is praying, is allowing the Holy Spirit to pray through you. You, have, you ever had a truly prayer flow? You ever been in a place where suddenly something kicks in what you're praying about and you feel that, you, that there is a flow through you to the heaven? You feel that things are shifting, things are moving? It's not carnal, it's not fleshly, it's not Pentecostals pretending, but something is happening. You have connected with the throne room of God and the Holy Ghost is praying the prayers of Jesus through you. You become a vessel, a conduit of prayer to the, to the throne of God and you know that, that, that prayer firebombs are being released, that the kingdom of heaven is not going to remain distant in heaven, but through your prayers, release of artillery power is going to come in kingdom explosion into real life circumstances, real life situation. Things on earth are going to change. This is the way that God works. Pray in the spirit always with all kinds of prayers. Now listen, we're talking about a heavenly prayer bombardment. We're not just throwing a few grenades out there not knowing where they're going. We're not just talking, letting off a few cannons. Poof. Where's it going? I don't know, but it sounded powerful. When people bombard, it is, when people use artillery and mortars, it is a highly precise, intentional, and directed Assault on the enemy. They don't just fire out there hoping they're going to hit the enemy. The, en the enemy knows how to duck. The enemy knows how to hide. And so when we pray, you know, we, we got it. We, you, you, sometimes, let, let me be over the top. Sometimes you get these two extremes, and I'm being extreme in talking about these extremes. Sometimes you get these prayer meetings, and these prayer meetings are not Pentecostal at all. Have you ever been in a non Pentecostal prayer meeting? Oh my God. Sitting there, people are dying and going to hell. Oh, Lord, we beseech thee. Save Europe, oh, Lord. Amen. You think, what? what? What is that? There's no spirit. There's no connection. There's no power. And it's flat. It's flat. It's flat. It's like one of those shells that don't explode. And then on the other hand, you have these wacko, charismatic Pentecostals, of which some of you might be. <laughs> and they're all noise, all sparkle, all light, but they're not concentrated, they're not focused, they don't come with a true Holy Ghost gospel agenda, a discipleship gospel New Testament agenda. They're just shouting off all the time making a noise down a microphone, shooting things here, shooting things there. They're like cowboys. They're not like a military force. And they're tearing down this and they're tearing down that. And do you know what? They're not hitting the enemy hardly at all. It's a mistake if they hit the enemy. There's no concentration. There's no, there's no uh, intentionality. There's no vision that they're pushing through. When the military goes into battle, it doesn't just say charge. It's actually got a vision. It's got a plan. It knows that on the battlefield things change very quickly, but they have objectives. 
They understand where the strongholds, there's been reconnaissance. They've got forward observers for the artillery that are close to where the enemy is, calling down where to fire the mortars, where to fire. Now, now, now this is what God, God gives us. God gives us true prophecy. I'm not talking about wacky prophecy. I'm talking about true prophetic insights. And sometimes, at the moment in Great Britain and Europe, you don't, you don't need to have forward artillery observers because the enemy is brazen out there in the open because the enemy hasn't tasted. The enemy has not tasted for so long the warheads of heavenly intercession that it's walking around out of the enemy trenches. It doesn't need to be in its strongholds because there's no effective heavenly prayer barrage pinning them down, smashing them up, causing them confusion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm overemphasizing, of course, there's some powerful prayer that's going out there, but nothing compared to what needs to happen for us to advance in our lives, in our calling, and in our KT 2020 vision. There is nothing that, that will worry the enemy yet. Nothing that will worry the enemy yet. That's why I believe my message is part of the call to persistent prayer. This prayer barrage will clear the path for us. This prayer barrage will clear obstacles that we can't get through without prayer. This prayer barrage will smash the enemy. This prayer barrage will smash strongholds that many people and many churches have not been able to pass through because they are advancing with the infantry, but the infantry can't take these by just obedience or hope alone. Prayer Power clears the way. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we pray. We use the word of God. That's what dethrones the enemy. We need concentrated, intense, focused prayer. Not just, and I'm talking at every level, in your personal life, you need concentrated, intense, targeted prayer. In your cell groups, you need concentrated, intense, targeted prayer. Not just a few little words up there. Oh yeah, Lord, and we pray for the 2020 vision to be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyway, back to that 10-point sermon I'm going to tell you today about blessing. (laughs) Power, prayer, intense, focused, released of assault against enemy strongholds, carpet bombed. I don't know about you, but there's times, I believe many of you have had times where the enemy has so pressed you so oppressed you that you've said enough is enough. And what have you done? You began to rise up. You began to take the word of God and you began to speak in the name of Jesus. You began to feel the Holy Ghost coming upon you and rising up in you. And you began to speak to that mountain. You began to pull down. You began to bind. You began to loose. You began to pray with further because the enemy had pushed and pushed and he'd pushed you too far. And he'd caused a reaction to come out of you. You tried everything. Well, actually, you hadn't tried everything. You'd thought how to do, deal, deal with it. You'd strategized. You'd hoped. You'd complained. You did everything but release the power of intercessory prayer. And now there was nothing left for you to do. You were down. You were out. But something inside you, you began to pray in the Holy Ghost flow. And then you begin to feel a pushback. You begin to feel the enemy begin to take a step back. And you begin to push 
push and you begin to push and you begin to pray and you begin to feel tenacity of God come within you. You begin to persevere. You don't give up. You can't give up. You've got no option to, but to continue in barrage and prayer and assaulting the enemy until he is brought down and you're at liberty again. And then what do you do? You stop praying. You've won the victory. You've made it. You, you, and the enemy steps back. And we fail to move forward. So you've got to keep praying. You've got to, I, I've been in places where I have had, had been involved in prayer barrages. I have been battering Satan by the power of the Holy Ghost. Not me. My prayers are, are no use without the Holy Spirit. They're just Pentecostal claptrap, Pentecostal noise. Pentecostal tongues doing nothing without the Holy Spirit in me connecting with the Father's throne and the Holy Spirit at my prayers are of no avail. But there's times when I've cleared the path, when I've, when I've brought it down, when I've continued and continued and continued and continued and continued and continued until it becomes a way of life, a lifestyle. You can't help it. You've got to press in. You can't help it. You've got to pray. The passion is there. It's the Holy Spirit. And then breakthrough comes. When that breakthrough comes, it's a strange thing. It's, just, it's, it's disorientating when you've been barraging the enemy with your prayers together in prayer meetings for historical things. We have seen this year in our prayer meetings on Wednesdays, certain things happen that we have barraged in prayer Wednesday after Wednesday, month after month together, the few barraging Praying, Holy Ghost connecting, sending out requests, pleading the blood, using the name. Holy Spirit praying through us. God on his throne calling the angels to release explosive charges into history and politics. Sometimes we didn't know what God's will was, but we prayed his will be done. His kingdom come. It's so where you don't know what to pray for, don't worry. The best prayer on our lips is your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If you don't know what to pray, pray that. Pray that. That's the Holy Ghost prayer. That'll get things done. That'll get things shifted. Greatest prayer on earth is that prayer. It will release the power of God. And sometimes I pray for this, that, and the other person, this, and I've had breakthrough. And I pressed so long. And I fought so long. But you know what? The most important thing is not the breakthrough. It's what happens to you during the barrage. You change. You become militant. You become aggressive. You become persistent. You become endurant. You, 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 you begin to learn not to give up. And you begin to press in. This is why Jesus, after he taught us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 7, the next teaching on that is this. He teaches us never to give up. He talks about the, the neighbor that went round in the middle of the night and knocked on the saw and said, give me bread because I've got some guests. And the person didn't want to give, it, give him the bread, but out of embarrassment gave him. And then Jesus says, keep knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. What's the other one? What? Seek and keep seeking. Whoever asks will receive. Whoever asks and keeps asking in the will of God will receive. Whoever knocks and keeps knocking, that door will one day in God's time open. Whoever, was, whoever seeks, you will find. And you see, the problem is, is that we ask, we, we fire a few missiles and we stop. But God is saying, keep firing, keep pleading, keep 
praying, keep prophesying, keep speaking, keep it targeted on what I'm doing. Don't pray for things that God's not interested in. Don't pray for things to happen that's not God's will. You know what God's will is, pray it. If you don't know what God's will is, pray your will be done. Keep praying. And then he ends that section in Matthew 7 by saying this, For who amongst you, who is a good parent when their child asks for bread or an egg or fish, would give them a scorpion, a stone or a snake? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? And that is the greatest prayer that you can pray. It's the same thing as praying, your will be done, your kingdom come. And this, is our, this should be our greatest prayer. The prayer above all prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Yes, but please give us more of your Holy Spirit. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to everybody and anybody regardless of whether they pray or not? No. To those that ask him. Wow. How much do you want the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your family life, your, your career, and your ministry here? God is calling on us. He wants us to release strong levels of prayer at every level, personal level, cell level. Uh, we've got a prayer diary coming out again that we can all pray and bombard the enemy on a daily basis. Whether you use a prayer diary for two minutes or for two hours, all together bombarding this city, bombarding the enemy, releasing prayers, knowing that as the prayers go up, that the power will come down. So that we can begin to walk and literally in our obedience and vision, Literally begin to walk and take ground back for God. Take ground back for God in our lives. Take ground back in our families. Take ground back in our careers. Take ground back for souls. Take ground back for the vision of 2020. Literally. And you'll feel a difference. That confidence that Chris spoke about. He said, when you, when you see that bombardment, when you know what it's doing, you have confidence. You're ready to go, go before. You know, when you have prayed through your day, when you've prayed through the week, when your prayers have gone ahead of you, not react, reactive prayers are okay, but there's too many reactive prayers. We're on the defensive, it seems, all the time. I'm speaking hyperbole, I'm speaking in large things, in, uh, but we're on the defense all the time. And it's like the only time that we can get a prayer move going is when a disaster came. I remember when ISIS, a few years ago, first began its terrible, appalling carnage. And everybody was shocked. And we, caught, we said on Wednesday evening, we're going to have a special prayer meeting about this. Christians are dying. And, and, and the place was fuller than it had been for a long while. And the intercession was powerful and everything. But you know, after a few weeks, well, even actually the next week, what had happened? <laughs> the barrage had stopped. People kept doing it. but the bar And after a while, guess what? Many of God's people got used to the fact that Christians were being slain in their thousands. Got used to it. The world got used to it in an instant. Presidents and prime ministers got used to it in an instant. Didn't lift a finger. Didn't give a hoot. See? And then I can tell you tomorrow, if something disastrous happened in London... And we called a prayer meeting, place would be 
Not full, but it would be, there'd be people here again. What, reacting again. It's time to stop reacting. It's time to start determining. It's time to go ahead. It's time to go ahead of other things. We've been praying in our Wednesday evening prayer meeting, for example. We've been praying for the security of London and Britain throughout the whole year. It doesn't guarantee anything, but we've been doing it. We played our share in going ahead of terrorist plots, praying, praying, praying. It doesn't, you, you, can't, you, know, you can't assume anything, but you do what you do, don't you? You fire things and you believe. God has a plan for you. And it all revolves around a prayer going ahead of you. And when your prayer goes ahead of you, when I've, co- when I've covered things in prayer, covered things in prayer. Let me, let me tell you, because I'm speaking about big things, taking Europe and things like that, but also this. So my son goes back to university on Saturday morning. Before I come in here, I take him to King's Cross. And, I, and earlier on, I'm thinking, oh, I hope his term's all right. All the natural things. I hope things go well. I hope things go And I begin a prayer bombardment of his term at university. And I lay down some bombardment against the enemy. And not only bombardment, not just pulling down, but praying through. And I'm praying through everything I, I, I feel the Holy Spirit lead me to. And I begin, and I go before my boy's term, and I deal with it in the Spirit. And I deal with it. And my fears and concerns as a parent begin to, to quell. I begin to have confidence. I begin to have boldness. I begin to have strength. Why? Because I have cleared the way as I can before him, before he goes into you. He doesn't even know it. Well, if he's watching, he will now, won't he? Hope it gives him a little bit of confidence. You say, does that guarantee anything? It guarantees nothing except confidence. That whatever comes his way, I have already prayed it through. And uh, the enemy, if it looks like the enemy surprises us, the enemy's not surprised us at all. He's been, God is in total and utter control. I don't have to fear what comes our way because I have confidence because I've prayed it through. I'm not just walking with my rifle in my hand, not knowing what's going to happen around the corner. Not knowing what the day is going to bring. Has it been covered in prayer? And this way... When good things happen or bad things happen, there's a confidence. Why? Because our prayers have gone before us. We're praying through things. When disappointments come, don't worry. Why? Because we've laid a bombardment down and we'll keep on laying that bombardment down until we go through this. When the vision or or our activities don't seem to bear fruit, we don't worry. Why? Because we're we're well ahead of this. We keep on praying. We keep on praying. We're not going to react. We're not just going to pray when something goes wrong. On the contrary, we're, we're praying down advancement. It's a totally different way of living. I know what it's like to have, be prayerless. I know what it's like to have a very poor prayer life. Don't think I have a very great prayer life, but it's getting better. Why? Because I'm understanding this is the way it works. This is the way life works. Prayer is a great gift. It's not a bind. It's not a bind. You say, well, I don't know if I can pray for hours a day. I'm not asking you to pray any more than, than, than you can with the Holy Ghost in you. You just start. Just start where you are. It's not about how long. Uh, Pentecostals, they can have all-night prayer meetings and achieve nothing but sleep deprivation. <laughs> you can get somebody on their knees under God with a rhema word, and in 10 minutes, power has been released into that thing. It's true. You know it's true. You know it's true. Because whether you've got a strong prayer life or a weak prayer life, you've tasted of prayer. You've tasted what it is to flow in prayer. You've tasted answer of prayer. You've tasted, you've tasted, you've tasted. But the enemy tries to keep us from our destiny. We're going to pave a way. We're going to carve out the future. 
We're going to take, take our prayers and we're going to launch them ahead of us. We're not just going to react. We're going to enact our prayers. We're going to go into the enemy's camp. You remember that old song? And we're going to take back what he's stolen from us, although we gave it to him. And we're going to up our bombardments. We're going to persevere in prayer. The greatest thing that you must learn about prayer is, it, is it's persevering. It's persevering. It's knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. It's seeking and seeking and seeking and seeking. It's asking and asking and asking and asking. That is the normal way that prayer works. Prayer does not normally work by praying and God immediately answering. It can happen. That's not normal. If Jesus didn't teach that as normal. He said it's a consistent, persistent perseverance with one another. Praying and bombarding and believing and believing and believing. And then get into a place where you wonder whether God's ever hearing. And then at that point, you begin to grow in maturity because you keep on praying. And I tell you what, I tell you what, as, as we come down to pray, I tell you what, there's nothing so sweet as an answer that comes to a pers- persevered prayer. There's, there's nothing so sweet as a victory hard won. Nothing so sweet. Nothing so sweet as an examination result that gives you the grade you wanted and you knew how hard you worked for it. Not, not, nothing so sweet. There's nothing so sweet. as I, I, I mentioned earlier about when I got this prayer breakthrough, I was totally disorientated. It threw me for about two weeks because I've been so used. Again, I pray. Again, I pray. Again, I pray. Again, I pray. And then I stopped and then I, I was weak. And then, then my, my knees trembled and then I fainted in prayer. Anybody ever fainted in prayer? But then a week, a week later, I got up and started doing it again because there was no other. And I kept on praying. I kept on believing. It was the Holy Spirit all along. I was the failure, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let me go. And I kept and I learned and I grew and I got stronger in prayer. And then suddenly the, the answer came when I least expected it. And you know what? I could hardly believe it. I've been praying so long, pressing so hard. And when the answer came, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do. I literally didn't know what to do. I was so disorientated that God had actually answered my prayer. Do you know what? It was weird. I didn't know what to do because I felt like a bit of me was disappointed. I don't know. Why am I a little bit disappointed? Because the praying had done so much for me. Well, how can I be disappointed? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. And for two weeks, I didn't pray because I didn't know what to do because God had answered. And I thought, well, what do I knock on now? What do I ask about now? I've, it's, it's happened. It's, it, it's happened. And it took me a while to, to get back locked in to the next things that God wanted me to conquer in prayer. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Then that shows that the Holy Spirit does it for us all. Hallelujah.